You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. In case you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been stepping away from Genesis for a period of time to uh, just re-examine who we are as a church, uh, wanting to ensure that um, the things that we are portraying on our website are accurate with the type of environment, the type of place that you will find here if you come and visit. So uh, wanting to make sure that we are being faithful to the things that we believe God has called us to do. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, different characteristics of our church and what we desire to be as a church. Uh, We started that discussion with being a church that loves, emphasizing the aspects of fellowship, accountability, discipline, and restoration using all of those things, uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to use those things for our members to persevere in their faith. We then examined what it means to be a church that grows, uh, seeing our own individual responsibility to pursue uh, personal sanctification, Um, and that ultimately Scripture's pattern for us pursuing personal sanctification is to follow other people that are ahead of us Uh, in their own pursuit of sanctification. So imitating others and seeing that play out through discipleship where uh, older, more mature believers are discipling the younger believers. And then last week we looked at a church that serves. Uh, We desire to be a church that's known for showing compassion and care to others, resulting in the use of gifts and resources bestowed to our members. And so we talked about the role of the elder last week and how the elder has the responsibility to equip the members of the church to do the work of the ministry, to help members even cultivate a knowledge and understanding of how they're gifted. Uh, But then we looked at how church members have a responsibility to encourage the service of other church members, that this should be an environment where you come into it and you have other people telling you how you're gifted, encouraging you to use your gifts, stirring you up to good works. And then we talked about how you as an individual have a responsibility uh, in being members here at our church to find ways to serve others. And we looked at some of the one another passages in the New Testament. And the theme that kind of runs through those is that we're to be praying for each other. We're to be sharing our stuff with each other. And we're to be committed to each other, committed to the growth and the sanctification of each other. Which brings us to um, our fourth Uh, sermon in this series, A Church That Plants, and our summary sentence for today, we desire to be a church that is known for pursuing the lost, welcoming the visitor, and training the faithful, resulting in the establishment of new churches through the relocation of our members. Several different points that we're going to unpack today, but we desire to be a church that is known for pursuing the lost, welcoming the visitor, and training the faithful. And when all those three things are working together, when we're faithfully pursuing the lost, when we are welcoming those that visit our church, and let's, let's you know think through it, typically that's believers that are visiting our church, coming from other churches, coming from a Christian background. Uh, we don't have a ton of lost people that are just coming into our church building, um, but we want to be faithful to pursue the lost, Welcome those that come that are already believers and then train the faithful membership here. And if those three things are working together like that here at this church, it will result in the establishment of new churches. As we call our members to relocate to new contexts. That's our desire here at Sovereign Hope. That's what um, we planted uh, this church with that mindset. Uh, We. Uh, reestablished that mindset um, almost two years ago now when we kind of laid out our five-year plan about how we wanted to start implement some of the things that we had vaguely talked about, being a church that grows and then being a church that plants, wanting to put a little bit of teeth to that and, and to demonstrate how we see that playing out uh, in, in a uh, five-year plan. And so in looking at that five-year plan, and you can always refresh your memory Uh, There on the back on the board there that we want to grow to 150 people. Uh, We want to establish uh, new elders and new deacons. Uh, We want to start some type of local ministry that allows our people to serve in this community using their gifts and resources that we talked about last week. Uh, And then ultimately we want to plant in two different areas. We want to plant locally. We want to grow and then have our members relocate so that we can continue to grow. Uh, It allows Uh, more people to use their gifts if you're creating a need for more people to step up and use their gifts. 
and then ultimately planting a church overseas. The mindset of our five-year plan that we began talking about two years ago, Sovereign Hope Church is working intentionally, and this is on our website, working intentionally to grow bigger and to give more so that members can go and plant more churches. All right, so we, we want to we want to reach out to the lost. We want to welcome the visitors so that we grow bigger as a church. And then we want to give, give of our finances so that other members can go and plant more churches. So we want to train the faithful to be able to go and to do uh, such a thing. In order for us to, to achieve this, in order to be this type of church, it goes back to what we've been talking about the past several weeks. We've got to love each other. We've got to be growing personally, and we've got to be serving faithfully within this church in order for these things to happen. When we're loving each other and growing personally and taking ownership of our own holiness and our own personal growth, and we're imitating others, and then we're using our, our gifts and abilities to serve each other, it's going to naturally result in the loss coming, in other visitors coming. It's going to result in the training of individuals. It's going to result in us uh, relinquishing our hold on our resources more and more so that more money is being given, which then allows more people to go and to plant more churches. So it all works together. These aren't just crazy ideas that, that I've come up with to say, hey, we should be like this and we should be like this. They all work together for this big goal of being a church that plants more churches. Um, and we want to be that here at Sovereign Hope. We see that model, I believe, in the New Testament. We're going to look more at that um, today. But in breaking down that summary sentence, a church that's known for pursuing the lost, welcoming the visitor, training the faithful, which results in the establishment of new churches, let's break down some of the key concepts in that summary sentence for today. We'll start with pursuing the lost and welcoming the visitor. Pursuing the lost and welcoming the visitor, both working together to increase the amount of people that are a part of this local church. As you're writing that down, I wanted to ask a question. I want you to think for a minute, specifically in the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts details and describes the growth and the expansion of the local church. In thinking through what you know about different passages that highlight the church having its numbers added to regularly, what were some of the key components, the key elements you think that were there in existence that was creating that, that addition uh, to the church? What are some things that you think were present there based on the text and what you remember from the text? Okay, people were attracted to it based on how people loved each other there in the church. What else? Okay. Intense fellowship. Salvation. What were some of the key components that were causing the church... Uh, and the other churches to add to their numbers daily. Strong preaching. Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay. Experiencing something new and fresh for the first time and uh, having needs met and being fulfilled. Um, there's several different passages we could go to. Um, and I know I told you to go to Acts 6, but if you want to back up a couple of pages, if you've got your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, uh, 42, which is a real familiar passage. Uh, this is uh, right after uh, Peter's uh, lengthy sermon, the Holy Spirit coming upon uh, the disciples and the apostles there, um, people being added. Um, it says in verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There are several other passages in Acts that mention something very similar. And when I was thinking through uh, just my own knowledge of the text, there were two things that I wrote down that I think were absolutely crucial beyond the, 
these supernatural elements. So obviously we trust that, that the growth and the expansion is obviously tied to the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit moves and where he blows um, as, the, as the wind and the breath of God. So assuming that component, the human aspect, what was happening from a human standpoint and the human responsibility, the two things that really stand out to me in the several passages in Acts. One, um, the word was being spoken to non-believers in non-church settings. Okay, I think that's one clear component. We mentioned strong preaching. But the unique aspect of it is that the preaching was not happening in the way that we think about preaching happening today. When, the, when this growth and expansion was happening, it was happening outside the context of a local church gathering. Uh, the bulk of the people that were hearing it were the unsaved, and they were responding to it. Okay, so one key component, I think, that's there is that the word was being spoken to non-believers in non-church settings. And then the second component that I came up with in looking at the different texts is that believers were sharing with other believers, right? Like they're, they're taking their possessions and no longer viewing them as their possessions, They're using it and kind of pooling their resources together and giving to each other as each other has need. All right, so the word being preached in non-church settings to non-Christians, non-believers, and then Christians sharing their stuff with other believers. And as I was thinking about that and contemplating that and meditating that, I began to think about how there's been a shift in what we typically experience today. We typically experience in most churches a mindset that says, bring the non-believer to church so that they can hear the word, right? So we, we do different programs and different activities that, that invites people to come to our setting, to our building. And then we typically ask our members to give their stuff to non-believers. You see that shift? I mean, that's, that's typical in church, right? Uh, bring... Bring your non-believers to the church so they can hear about Jesus, which we all know is extremely difficult to get a non-believer to come. So it's almost like we're, we're paddling up water trying to fight against something that's totally unnatural. Bring the non-believers to Vacation Bible School. Bring the non-believers to our church events. And then give your stuff away to people that don't believe in Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't bring non-believers to church. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't give our stuff away to non-believers. But what was the pattern that was causing the church to grow is that church members were going to non-believers in non-church settings and preaching the word and telling them about Jesus. They weren't going and taking stuff to them and saying, here, I see that you're, you're poor and that you're in need. Here's some stuff. They went to them and said, you're in need of salvation. You are dead in your sins, and if this continues, you will die and be separated from God for eternity. People said, well, that's not okay. And and they were responding to powerful preaching and teaching and, and communication of God's word. And then they would come after being saved, and they would stay. They would persevere because they would look around and see a group of people that loved each other intently to where they were just sharing their stuff with each other so that no one had any needs. Now, again... Bring your non-Christians if you can get them to come. And we're going to serve the less fortunate in our area. But I think it's interesting to note the two things that were working together to grow the church. Things that are probably deficient in a lot of churches. Is the membership going to communicate regularly and intentionally Jesus in non-church settings. And then there being an intense love and fellowship that ultimately leads to My stuff is your stuff. Your stuff is my stuff. That type of setting that keeps people once they come to Christ, keeps them persevering. We've talked in in the past several weeks and months. We persevere because of God using each other to keep us holding fast. We see this in the church. We see it when it first starts out. They're going to people in non-church settings and they're preaching the gospel and people are getting saved and they come and they say, you know what? It wasn't just a one-time decision. I'm here and I see you guys loving each other and I see you guys growing and I see you guys giving and serving. I'm in. I'm all in. I'm in until I die. I will persevere because of what I see going on. 
There's two elements here. So if we talk about us as a church wanting to grow so that we can plant, I think these two things have to become features of our church. We have to be a church that is willing to go in non-church settings because, let's be honest, we don't have the facilities to even create programs to bring non-believers here. And we certainly don't have all the the bells and whistles on a Sunday morning that a non-believer is going to want to walk in on their own and participate in what we do here on a Sunday morning. We've got to be a place where our believers are going and preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel in the places that you go all during the week. Work, hobbies, neighborhoods. And then when people come because they hear the word and the word doesn't return void and they become believers, they come here and they realize what the, the, the little part that they've been exposed to, right? Like we don't bring full mature believers here. They're baby Christians and they come and they say, yeah, I made the right decision. I made the right decision because I see what maturity looks like and I want to grow up in my faith and I want to stay here because I see people thriving in this environment. And I see them living out what I believe the gospel has been communicated to me as. Pursuing the lost, welcoming the visitor. I asked you guys to think through some of the reasons that people visit our church, stay at our church and leave our church. Um, people that visit our church. And I think some people were talking about what actually convinces them to visit our church. I was thinking more, so not necessarily people inviting them or, or people finding out about our church. What motivates them to not go to their other church if they're church-going people and come to our church? A couple of things that I wrote down. Um, relocation. We've had some people that have come to visit our church because they have moved into this area. So they've left a home church. They've now come to this area and they're looking for a new church family. Um, change at their current church. We've had some people that have come that were involved and ingrained at a great local church, but something changed there. Uh, a change in leadership, a change in direction, something that deviated from what they believed they had joined previously. And, and it, was, it was such a big deal where they felt like, okay, we've got to leave. That there's been a change, there's been a shift, and we can't support this change. We can't support this shift. It's contrary to what's good for me and my family. And so they've left and they've come and visited our church. Other people have experienced a change inside of them that wasn't reciprocated by their church, right? So they become exposed to maybe new theology, new methodology, and they've said, you know what? This is inconsistent, what I'm learning from Scripture. It's inconsistent with how I see my church modeling it. Okay, you might have somebody who believes strongly now in elder leadership that, that looks at their church and says, uh, I, I need to be a part of a church that has elders. And so they shift from their church here. Um, if God ever, for whatever reason, would, would have me step away from being a pastor or God forbid I were ever to disqualify myself from being a pastor um, and then came back through repentance. I can't envision myself being a part of a church that's not elder led in the future. Right? Like I'm grateful and thankful to be a part of a church here that's elder-led. I can't imagine being a part of a church moving forward ever in my life that was not elder-led. I've been exposed to what I believe Scripture preaches and teaches as the methodology for a local church. That, that spreading out of power and that co-leadership and co-leading responsibility. So you have some people that come and visit our church because there's a change in them. The, the Holy Spirit's stirring in them in a different manner, in a different way. And so they've come to visit um, our church. And then... Um, We've had some people that have been hurt by their previous church. Um, maybe not something that would force them to leave, but something that requires them leave for a time. Um, we've had several people that have come, that have stayed with us for a little while, and then they've gone back to the church where they were previously members of. Um, there's been a healing that's taken place and a, a renewed desire to go back and to fix or to reassume responsibilities there. Those were some of the things that I came up with. You guys may know of um, some other situations, but I think... Just about everybody that's come and visited our church since we planted probably falls into one of those categories in some uh, form or fashion. Um, they felt like something wasn't right at their church, wasn't consistent with what they see in Scripture at their church, so they came looking for something different. Um, or there was a change at their church. It was fine, but then there was a shift or a change, and so they came looking for something different. Or they relocated, or they experienced some type of hurt. People that have stayed at our church, and um, this is where maybe we can get some feedback, because um, I think it's helpful, especially for those that have been here from the very beginning, 
What was it that enticed people once they visited to stay? Because we've had um, a lot of people join that have become members of Sovereign Hope since we planted in, in September of 2011. So any feedback from people that are comfortable sharing why you came after we planted, you visited, and you decided that this was the place for you and your family, and you decided to, to stay here at Sovereign Hope? Any thoughts on that? Right. Okay, so a change inside of you that wasn't consistent with where your church was at. Any other thoughts on, on what led you to stay after visiting Sovereign Hope? Okay. Yeah, so feeling maybe left out, just another face in the crowd at a bigger church and being able to come, um, which kind of ties in some of the hurt aspect. You were being uh, you were being maybe neglected and you were kind of falling through the cracks and... Um, and then seeing what a church maybe should model and maybe not experiencing that. And so um, finding that here. The reason I think this is important and the reason I wanted us to reflect on this is a, l- a little bit is because when you see a visitor here on Sunday morning for the very first time, it ought to resonate with you that they're probably here for one of these reasons. They're either an unbeliever, which is, is, is unlikely. That's probably the least amount of people that show up are, are people that are unbelievers. Um, they are here because they are new to the area. And, and we ought to jump on that. We ought to say, okay, here's somebody that's a believer that's new. That maybe they've moved here and they're looking for friendships now. Uh, they're, they're looking for new relationships. They, they're coming from a place and they need a new place. And so we ought to see this as an opportunity to, to serve and to reach out to them because they've initiated something. They have come in here and said, we are looking for Uh, relationships. We are looking for friendships because we're new to the area. Or we look at them through the lens of here may be somebody who has experienced a a personal change and conviction about what the local church is supposed to teach and what it's supposed to be. And they've, they've not seen that. And they're coming here wanting to know if they'll see it. Or they've been hurt or they've experienced a drastic change at their church, which has caused them to have to step away a lot of times from precious friendships and relationships but because of their commitment to the word they've made a decision and i want that to be the type of lens that you so when somebody walks in it ought to be our job it ought to be our personal responsibility to say i'm going to figure out why they're here because more than likely they are here for a reason that i can reach out and serve to help to help reach them in that need unless they're just here because they're family members from out of town that are here to see a grandkid which does happen, okay? They are coming for most likely one of these reasons. And if that is true, how important it is for us to identify that and to reach out and to serve and to love. And if we're talking about being a church that plants, it also would help to view them as potential uh, elders and deacons, people that can help our church grow and relocate to other places, Remember, I came from an environment where when a visitor came in, you viewed them as a paycheck. You viewed them as money because your budget was underneath what it needed to be as far as the giving. And so you were hoping that people would come and join and give and meet budget demands. And that was a point where, and Tyson and I talked to him, we said, never again, never again do we ever want to be in a setting where we go to talk to visitors because we need them to give so that we can meet budget demands. I'm far more comfortable being in an environment where I can see a visitor come in and say, Man, I wonder if they're hurting or I wonder if they're, 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 they're studying and they're reaching out because they're learning about things that are inconsistent at their church and they're looking for answers to things they're seeing in God's word. Or maybe this is a family that's just new to this area and they need friendships and relationships. I'm far more comfortable and I think it's far more biblical to see people visiting our church through that type of lens. And I'm thankful that we can be in a church where, where we can exist in that type of mindset. And I want you guys to think moving forward, visitor walks in, they're probably here for one of these reasons. How can we reach them? How can we serve them? Okay, so pursuing the lost, welcoming the visitor, um, training the faithful is our, is our second component to that summary sentence. And that's where we'll go to uh, Acts chapter six. Training the faithful. All right, so... We, we said the keys to the New Testament growth from a, from a lost person standpoint. Members, believers, preaching outside of non-church settings. And then 
people being exposed to the church sharing with each other. That attracted lost people. What we just got done talking about is how we serve and meet the needs of believers, which is not very... we, we don't see this picture in the book of Acts. Why? Because there weren't people leaving churches and finding new churches because the church was just starting. So that's a component unique to us. I don't know that Paul and Peter had to deal with somebody traveling from First Baptist to Second Baptist and trying to find a church that met their needs better than their previous church. Church was new to everybody, okay? So what we just talked about is kind of unique to us in this day and age where we do have the component. People coming to us that are already believers from other churches, how do we, how do we think about them and how do we serve them? Training the faithful, though, is an important component of how the church grew as well. In my notes, and I put them here on the slide, leadership development must become a key feature of Sovereign Hope Church. And if anything, this has been a deficient area for us as elders that um, now that we've established ourselves, now that we are at a, obviously a point of sustainability, this has to become a key feature moving forward. We cannot be content to remain with three elders and, and two to three deacons moving forward. Um, it's unfaithful for us if we're called to equip you to use your gifts uh, for ministry. We should assume that there are more people with elder and deacon type gifts that can be raised up, trained, and empowered to use those gifts in a more formal setting. So how do we train the faithful? First of all, we need qualified individuals who can serve as elders and deacons. All right? It's not, it's not the elder's responsibility to create qualified people It's individual responsibility to pursue Christ, to become qualified people, okay? Before we look at some of these passages, just off the top of your head, off of your knowledge of Scripture, what are some of the qualifications of elder and deacon? Because they're almost identical minus the component of being able to teach. Um, What are are some of the the things that when you think of qualifications? Because I don't want to just read them. Because it's such a familiar passage to a lot of us, it's real quick and easy to just blow through them. So let's talk a little bit about our own uh, personal remembrance of these passages, things that really stand out to us as being the key qualification components of leadership in the church. What are some thoughts there? Spirit-filled. All right, good uh, managers of their family. What else? Not a new believer. What else? Husband of one wife. Servant. All right, not be prone to strong drink. Hospitable. Above reproach. Self-control. All right, let's look specifically at these passages. Acts chapter 6. This is one of those passages where it's not uh, clear, like there's not designation for what this position is. Most people uh, like to assume that this is the the first installment of deacons. Um, It says in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, and we're going to come back to this passage and, and... emphasize verse one and two, but we're just going to read verse three for right now. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Okay, so good reputation, full of the spirit, full of wisdom. Those things were certainly needed based on the role that they were about to fill. Hey, they've got to help tend to people that are being neglected. We need some people that are wise, that are going to be led by the spirit, because basically they were being entrusted to figure out this problem. Okay, it wasn't the elders or the apostles telling them how to do it. It was basically, we've recruited you, we consider you wise, we consider you full of the Spirit, figure this out for us. Okay, um, We then turn our attention to 1 Timothy chapter 3. As Paul is uh, traveling and planting churches and raising up uh, people to help him, he communicates qualifications for both elder and deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We see it in verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, 
keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good, under, a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We then can turn our attention to Titus chapter 1, verse 5, for the uh, remaining qualifications of an elder or essentially just having them repackaged for us. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. These are the, the formal qualifications. Um, even in this passage, you see some variants here. So um, I don't know that, that Paul is necessarily giving um, a full-on strict list because it's a little bit different in Titus, but certainly these things all work together and flow together to give us a good picture of what spiritual maturity looks like, spiritual maturity that is worth leading people in a local church. I wrote down some things that, that really stand out to me from these passages, um, and I want to share those with you. First of all, above reproach. What does that mean? In my notes, um, I jotted down next to above reproach. It's learning to avoid situations and circumstances that would cause others to stumble or question one's decision-making ability. Above reproach, learning to avoid situations and circumstances that cause others to stumble or question one's decision-making ability. We are called as, as leadership, but really as all Christians, to live above reproach, to put ourselves in positions and circumstances and situations that would protect us from causing anyone else to stumble or causing someone to question our decision-making ability. Um, there's been times at Trinity where, where a teacher maybe has put themselves in a position where I can no longer trust their ability to make good decisions. And we've had to sever that relationship. Um, being above reproach is constantly putting yourself in a position where an individual can trust that you're not going to cause other people to stumble by your actions. Right? It's, it's understanding Christian freedom. It's understanding uh, that while some things are permissible, it doesn't mean that they're profitable. And so I'm going to put myself in a position that is considered above reproach, where I cannot be considered a stumbling block. And people cannot question my ability to make good decisions because I live, I live above it. Right? I live above the noise and the, and the average behavior below. I strive to be above that. I strive to, to make good decisions, to put myself in a position where my character can't be questioned. A one-woman man, that's mentioned several times in, in these passages, uh, developing a reputation for loving one woman and respecting all of the others. Okay, I do not believe that, that this is pressing a point that says if an individual has been divorced, that they cannot serve in this capacity. Okay? I'm not going to disqualify, um, because if I can think of one scenario where it would be allowed, then I can't say that this means you can't be divorced and serve in this capacity. If you've got an individual who is an, uh, an unbeliever, married, uh, the woman leaves him, okay, and then years later he gets saved, becomes a Christian, I don't think that the, the message that's being taught by Paul here is to say that that person is not a one-woman man, right? The guy gets saved, he gets married, years after a divorce that took place earlier in his life, um, he's now demonstrated a reputation of being a one-woman man, I think he can be qualified to lead in the church. 
Okay, I think the message here is that this individual has a reputation of loving one woman and respecting all of the others. And he lives above reproach. He lives above reproach so that his decision making and and his motives can't be questioned with another woman. Right. Like he's above it, above reproach, one woman, man. And if he's not married, he's living in such a way that shows he's committed to the one woman if she ever comes along. And in the meantime, he respects all women in his life and does not use them for personal gain or benefit, right? Which would eliminate a lot of addictive type behavior that could eliminate an individual being faithful to serve in this capacity, right? Above reproach, one woman, man, um, able to teach. If we're talking about the, the elder capacity, uh, able to teach, it means that they can communicate the gospel faithfully and they intentionally disciple those under their care, right? Because Paul keeps drawing in this aspect of how is he leading his children? How is he taking care of those that are already under his care? So if we're going to have somebody that serves in the capacity of elder and really even deacon because it's attached to both, they have to be an individual that demonstrates they know how to lead others that are less mature and lead them into maturity. That's, that's the pattern that we see. Paul says, I'm looking for individuals that know how to lead what God has already entrusted to them. And you've got children that are following. They're not insubordinate. They're not given to debauchery. They're not ruining this guy's reputation based on how they live. Which is a tough position to be in because we know of faithful people that have taught faithfully and their kids have made poor choices. But sometimes the actions of our children could potentially affect our ability to serve faithfully. Paul says, I'm looking for individuals that know how to lead their families well. They're theologically sound Uh, They can give sound advice and can rebuke false teaching. Paul says that's the type of individual we need. They have controlled emotions. They're humble. They're quick to listen. They're slow to speak. They're slow to get angry, right? Like that comes up several times, that they're, they're moved by the spirit and not their fleshly reactions to situations. You don't need individuals that are, that are prone to get emotional and prone to overreact in situations, specifically in the anger management department. It's somebody that's, that's, that's uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. James talks about that just being a, uh, a component for all Christians, but specifically being demonstrated by somebody that would serve in leadership. They're not prone to addictions, right? Like it's not, it's not saying that you can't uh, enjoy worldly pleasures. It's not saying that you can't have money, you can't have possessions. It doesn't even say that you can't, uh, be one that, that senses a Christian freedom to drink alcohol. What it does say is that you can't be driven by those things. You can't be driven by wine. You can't be driven by financial gain. You can't be driven by the things this world offers. Right? You're driven by the Spirit. And you're hospitable with your things. Right? And, and you're motivated to, to turn to the hope that's in Christ and not the hope that maybe comes from a substance. Right? It's not somebody who who the way they respond to trials and difficulties is to turn to a bottle, right? But it's not prohibiting somebody who can be hospitable with a bottle, right? Like I don't see any, I don't see any uh, prohibitations to that. It's somebody who knows how to control themselves in environments, how to handle good gifts from God and not to abuse those things. Good stewards of knowledge, um, it talks about not being slanderers when it talks about the women component here. Somebody who can handle knowledge and not use it for abusive purposes. As elders and as deacons, there are times when we are made aware and we have to be made aware of situations in the church involving church members. And it is a breeding ground for slander and gossip if the individuals are not being led by the Holy Spirit. To take information and to use it abusively, to spread that and to share that and to under the guise of I need you to pray about this, right? We can easily, if, 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 if given to our flesh, use that for abusive purposes. Those are the qualifications. We've, we've seen the three passages. We've, we, I've tried to pull out to you some of the, the, the key components there. Let's talk a little bit about uh, elder and deacons here at Sovereign Hope. Because in, in discussing planting churches, we obviously need deacons and elders to be able to plant more churches, which means we need an increase in both of these here at this church. We're going to spend more time on the deacon component than the elder component. I did want to use this as an opportunity to once again reiterate how an individual becomes an elder here at Sovereign Hope. All right? You may not be aware. You may not remember. 
Um, let's see who knows what's the first step in becoming an elder at Sovereign Hope Church. We certainly need to know this in case you're having promptings and desires to be one. What's the first step in becoming an elder at Sovereign Hope? You express it to the other elders, okay? So the, the precursor is you have to have a desire to be an elder, and then that desire has to be expressed, okay? Um, you desire the position, you express the desire, all right? And then that individual is evaluated by the elders regarding the qualifications that we just read through. And the approach that we take is that we do not evaluate somebody as to whether they are ready to be an elder or not at that given time. We evaluate them based on have they disqualified themselves or are they non-qualified in a specific area that would cause us to say no. Meaning, it doesn't have to be that someone comes to us and says, I want to be an elder, and we evaluate them and we say, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with them teaching yet. Uh, there's still some, some areas I'd like to see them grow in. That doesn't cause us to say, nope, thank you for your interest, but no. What would potentially cause us to say no is someone who comes to us and, and in talking and working through the qualifications, we find out they are addicted to something or they've got a sin that is easily besetting them in their life that would hold them back. We may would say, not at this point. There's things that you still need to personally grow in to even be considered. But if we have, and this allows a 21, 22, 23-year-old to come to us and say, I want to be an elder one day. Because the fourth step is we test and train that individual. And it's in a process that we called both uh, an apprentice and an elder candidate. Okay, so everyone would start out as an elder apprentice, which means they come and they are personally grown and discipled by one of our elders. Okay, so they say, I want to be an elder. Qualifications doesn't prohibit them from being an elder. We then personally begin to invest time, money, resources, whatever it takes to get that individual to the point where we can say, this individual is now an elder of sovereign hope. They enter into what we call an apprenticeship. And that can be an indefinite period of time, which means a 20-year-old can come to us and can stay in that capacity for the next decade. All right? The elders will evaluate that every six months. Whoever's an apprentice, every six months we say, are they ready? Are they ready? Are they ready? And if not, we evaluate what still needs to take place to get them ready. Once we believe as elders that they are capable and ready, they enter into what we call a candidacy time. Um, both Tyson and Adam entered into this. All right, and it was a nine-month process where they began to teach to the church. They were questioned and examined by the church. We gave you opportunity to give us feedback if there were any hesitancies about you submitting to these new elders. Right? Because when, when uh, the people that first planted the church joined, I was the only elder. And we had individuals that were working towards that. Okay, So that's the process of becoming an elder. We need more elders at this church. We need people to be qualified, and so we need people to read through those qualifications and to go after it, to pursue it. We need people that desire it, but that comes from the Holy Spirit, right? We don't need people to try to create a desire there. That, that's supernaturally given to you. To express the desire, to uh, then allow us to evaluate, and then give us the opportunity to test and to train an individual. Let's talk more extensively, though, um, about a deacon, a deacon here at Sovereign Hope. And that's going to uh, take us to a couple of different passages in Acts. So if you want to, um, uh, let's jump back to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. As you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background about deacons. All right, the Greek word uh, for deacon is used in a couple of different ways. Sometimes it's used when we have the translation of servant. It's sometimes used the form of it when it's talking about service and then to serve. So it can be used in several different capacities, okay? The only time it appears as deacon in Scripture is when the translators believe it to be an actual position that's being talked about, okay? So the word deacon is used a lot. The Greek word is used a lot in the New Testament, over 100 times. Now, if you search deacon, though, you're not going to find 100 times it being used in the New Testament. It's only transliterated, and that's not... You translate it to serve. You transliterate it when you believe it is actual position. Okay, And that's used far more frequently. But when it's used in Scripture, the common use is in a table waiting type scenario. Someone who is serving someone else. 
It's used in such a way that all Christians should consider themselves deacons. Okay, so you hang out in Acts for just a second. Let me read to you two passages. John chapter 12, verse 26. And the reason we're spending our bulk of our time on deacons versus elders is because I believe everyone in this church is to function like a deacon. Maybe you don't have the official title and the official responsibility, but the pattern in the New Testament is that everyone should be living like a deacon. Not everybody lives like an elder. Not everybody has those formal responsibilities. Everybody has the deacon responsibilities applied to them. In John chapter 12, uh, verse 26, Jesus is talking and it says, um, If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Okay, That's not talking about a formal position. That's talking about responsibility of those that follow Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 1, or sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay? What we have in our Bibles is work of ministry. The original Greek there is that idea of deacon, the idea of serving. Okay? So God gives leadership. Why? To equip people to do the work of a deacon, to serve other people with their gifts okay so the concept here seems to be that all christians are to to be this type of individual here at sovereign hope we want people serving as deacons who can ultimately help the elders to overcome threats and obstacles to our unity that's where the formal position took on its place helping the elders to overcome threats and obstacles to our unity all right so in acts chapter four hopefully you're still there Acts chapter 4, verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, talking about the early church, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Okay, so we read the Acts 2 passage, Acts 4. We jump ahead a couple chapters. That's still the case. Believers coming, there's needs, the needs are being met, okay? And then we see a drastic change that happens in Acts chapter 6. So if you want to flip to Acts chapter 6 now, in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men who can appoint, we can appoint to do this duty. All right? You compare Acts 4 to Acts 6, what you have here is that the growth led to some disconnection. Okay? The church is growing, and for a while it was manageable by the few individuals that were in leadership. Everybody's needs were being met. And then they reached a point where the people that were in leadership could not handle the needs anymore. Couldn't handle the needs anymore. They were incapable of handling the needs, all right? In thinking back in our church, we talked about people that visit, we talked about people that stay, people that leave our church. For the most part, primarily in me thinking back through people that are no longer here, the primary reason has been relocation. People that have moved away or moved just far enough away where it didn't make sense for them to continue to come. They had a change in their life that led them away. Only a handful and a small handful are related to sinful things where they were confronted with sin, didn't like being confronted with their sin, and so they chose to vacate this fellowship. Um, and only one or two individuals that I can think of that had a, a reason beyond those. But that's not to say that we don't have people in this church that feel disconnected and have concerns and potentially even thoughts about leaving this church because they don't feel like their needs are being met. And I think we're probably at a point in our growth as a church that for the expectations to continue to be that Adam, Tyson, and Adam can manage all of those needs, it's just not going to happen. Um, it, it, it can't happen. Um, for us to spread ourselves so thin to try to take care of the amount of people that God has now given to us, we can't be entrusted to make sure that everybody's needs are met. And it's also not according to this passage, our responsibility to figure out how to make sure everybody's needs are met. 
right? The response is, we need some individuals that we can appoint who are full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, that we can say, hey, if there's anybody in our church who feel like their needs aren't being met, we need you to help come up with a plan that will make sure they stay connected and make sure they are the recipients of everything that our church wants to offer, claims to offer, and is offering. That's the answer to this problem. There's, there's, there's this tension here, right? Um, there's this tension that's been created that people are being neglected. Now here you've got widows who aren't getting their, their distribution like they need to. But you could sub in any issue, any situation here that would jeopardize the unity of a church. People being neglected. And that happens all the time in churches, big and small. It can happen in any size church. Someone not feeling like they're being loved and cared for. Their needs aren't being met. The system or the structure of the church is not taking care of them. And they have thoughts about wanting to leave. The answer is not to have the elders figure that out. The answer is to be able to turn to individuals who are full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, who can help be an extension of the leadership, the elder leadership, to make sure that needs are met. The tension, people being neglected. The solution, and it seems to be that the solution being offered was the apostles, the disciples needed to figure it out. Hey, the complaints were coming to them and they say, hey, we, don't, we, we can't handle this. Now, we should not interpret this as though that these individuals were saying, this is petty, this isn't important, we don't care, somebody else handle it. No, I think you see great intent and great care about this situation, Right? They don't say, ah, get somebody to handle this. Anybody, does anybody know a Hellenist that, that's concerned? Anybody know the Hellenists that are complaining? Great. Can you go help them have a right perspective about this? That's not the response, right? They don't ask, hey, is anybody sympathetic to the Hellenists? Because we need you to help figure this out. They say, we need individuals that are full of wisdom, that are um, of good reputation, that are full of the spirit, and we need them to help plan this. Because this is important. But what we're tasked to do is also important. We need to be uh, we need to recruit some people to be an extension of our ministry. The major threat is that they abandon the word here to meet the needs of this Hellenist. Then the preaching of the word can't continue to happen. And we've already said that was one of the key components for the church growing. Right. Um, So the solution that was chosen delegation to the spiritually mature. They figured out how to solve the issue. And what's neat here is that the spoken word and the care of the needy are both needed elements to reach the hardest non-Christians. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In back in Acts chapter 4. Remember I told you the two components of the church growing. The word was being spoken to non-Christians in non-Christian settings. And believers were sharing with believers. What we have at Jeopardy here is that believers were not sharing with the believers fully. People were being left out. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 1, Peter and John, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people. And they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But look at verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So you've got people that are hearing the word and they're getting saved. Non-Christians, non-Christian setting. Who's doing the arresting? Who's the ones that are hating this? Verse 1 says the priests. The priests did this. The priests were the people's advocates that would take care of the needs of the people. They hate this message about Jesus. They arrest these people. They don't want them here. So they were hearing the, the word as a non-Christian in a non-Christian setting, but it wasn't, it wasn't getting to them. You fast forward to Acts chapter 6. This is not an accident. They find these men. They find these men to solve the Hellenist problem. Verse 7, the word of God continued to increase. Okay, so non-Christians were still hearing the, the word in a non-Christian setting. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is a key element here because now you've got the spoken word to a non-Christian in a non-Christian setting. But before it wasn't enough, you know, they're hearing it, but they're not responding to it. And boom, now they see a connection here. 
not only are you teaching it, you're living it. We observed how you handled this dispute, how you took care of it. And the response was, now that everybody's needs are being met, we're back on track and we're going to continue to grow. And there were some people watching how we handled it. And now they're in on this as well. This is why it's so important in our church. The word's got to be going on, not just in here, but out there. Right? So, so people shouldn't be coming to our church because of me preaching on Sundays. Lost people should be coming to this church because you're preaching to them all during the week. And they get saved and they come and they get to hear preaching on Sunday morning as well. And when they come, they ought to see a love and a fellowship where everybody's needs are being met. And when they're not being met, they see people step up to help make sure those needs are met. And it doesn't always fall on the elders. There are other people that are willing and ready and able and qualified to step up and help meet those needs. So what do deacons do? They meet needs, they support the elders, they encourage unity. They meet needs, their role is primarily to serve others. That same word shows up in Matthew 25, 44, when Jesus says, you fed me when I was hungry, you visited me in prison, you served me. Something all Christians should be doing. But certainly in a formal deacon setting, they meet needs. They encourage unity. They put out fires of discord through their service and ministry, right? There was criticism coming towards the the, the apostles here. You guys are mismanaging a big church and we're criticizing you. And these guys stepped up and functioned like deacons and they put it to rest. And we got back on track and we started growing again. They encourage unity. Um, here at our church, just real quick, we do believe that women can serve in this capacity as well. Um, just so that you're educated on the reasoning because um, I don't want you to think that that there's not scriptural precedent for this. Back in 1 Timothy 3, uh, the reason we believe this, verse 11, their wives likewise must be, da 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 give some qualifications there. The original Greek, uh, the word for wife is not being used here. The possessive there, the word their wives, also doesn't appear in the original transcript. Most people that don't believe women can serve in this capacity want to say that this is qualifications for the wife of a deacon. Which begs the question, why are there no qualifications for the wife of an elder? That, that's a far more important position because of the, the, the recognition that takes place and the, the more accountability for being a teacher. Why would there not be qualifications for uh, an elder's wife here? Okay? Instead, the word likewise that is there, likewise they must be, seems to indicate a separate candidate. Not just the men that were being talked about, but here's now some qualifications for a woman that would function in this role. And the role doesn't require unhealthy authority, right? We talked about this at a recent Man Up. Can women be preachers? We don't believe that a woman here at Sovereign Hope should exercise spiritual authority over a man. Therefore, we don't believe that a woman can function as an elder, okay? And there's some, there's some unhealthy reasons for that, right? Adam, Tyson and Adam and I, we sit at McDonald's once a month to meet as elders, and we're there till 11 at night, I can tell you right now, I don't want any man's wife there with us until 11 at night meeting with us about the spiritual matters of the church. It's not healthy. That's not a good setting. That's not a good setup. But what I can tell you is that to have a woman serve as a deacon of the women's ministry so that none of our women feel left out, so that none of our women feel disconnected, so that none of them feel like their needs aren't being met, I don't feel the need to tell a man Hey, figure out how to get our women to connect. You know why I don't feel that need? Because Tyson, Adam, and I have done that before, and we typically come up with all the wrong solutions for how to serve our women and to get them to connect. Okay? You've got women like Phoebe and others that are mentioned in Scripture, uh, and they're elevated to a higher status than just your average church member, Phoebe. They seem to be doing some things that are important to the growth and the expansion of the church. That's why we have Melissa serving in the capacity that she does. We don't want anybody that has a baby or that has a medical need that would require or, or, or uh, give us the opportunity to meet some hospitable type needs. We don't want those to get neglected. And, and just based on how God's created us, I think a woman functioned in that capacity far more than a man, right? Um, the men are going to come up with a solution that just doesn't serve a family very well, right? Like if, if I was left up to that, I'd be handing you... Uh, pizza gift cards to order pizza after you have a baby, right? 
Um, Melissa lines up individuals to bring hot meals that, that are designed to last you a couple of days. Um, and she lines it up to where you've got meals for as long as you can, you can think possible. Um, a woman functions great in that capacity. Okay, so that's why we don't restrict it to being a male-only position like we would an elder position here. Um, I wanted to let you know that in, in thinking through this, um, I, I've been challenged uh, even as early as this morning um, that we need to expand upon our deacon ministry. We need to expand upon it beyond just if we need you to do something, we ask you to do it. Um, that has not been fleshed out, and that will be fleshed out with Adam and Tyson. Um, and so I want you to know that... Um, your responsibility is not to come and tell us that you want to be a deacon. It is if you're, if you're to be an elder. There's a different way that we're going to handle people expressing and becoming deacons, and that's something that Adam and Tyson and I will be talking about further because I do believe that that's a necessary step with where we've grown to um, as a church. All right, and then the last point, um, relocating the member. And I think uh, you want to write all that down? I think I copied over. Okay. The last point is relocating the member. And for us here, we define success differently. It's more, not bigger. We're not looking for a building here at Sovereign Hope. This is where we're going to be. We're not looking for a full-time pastor. I'm not going full-time here. It doesn't matter how much money comes in. We're not looking to be a bigger church. We're not looking just to grow and to grow and to grow and to grow. Those are things that typically measure success for a church plant, right? People that know that you're a part of a church plant, typically they want to ask, have you gotten your own building yet? Have you raised enough support for your pastor to quit his job and be full-time? How many people are you running on Sunday morning, right? I get asked this constantly by people at Trinity. How many people y'all got on Sunday morning? Have y'all gotten a permanent building yet? No, and... I don't know how many people come on Sunday morning <laughs> um, because those aren't the ways we measure success. That's not how we're going to measure success here. For me, it's not how many people we're attracting. It's how many people are we sending, All right? And we haven't gotten to that point yet. So for me, our job's not done. We are not there and functioning the way that we ultimately want to function. We want to be raising up people and sending people. And the, the long paragraph here is what's on our website, so I'm just going to read it to you. On our website, you'll find a section labeled Big Small Church, all right? And this is what we mean by that. We recognize that many people in our culture today are looking for a small church feel where they can come and know and be known by the other members of the church, all right? Most of you are here because you're at least comfortable with the idea of being in a small church, and you're okay with the lack of programming. Oftentimes, though, a small church is synonymous with a dead church, if a church is small, then it typically means it is either not growing or does not wish to grow, meaning they've decided that they're not going to evangelize, they're not going to reach out to people, they're just content being a, a small group of family that gets together for a Bible study but really isn't about applying it. This leaves many with the dilemma of choosing either a mega church that is growing or a small church that is stagnant. Our answer for maintaining the small church feel that many desire while also faithfully growing in response to Christ's commands, is to plant other churches. Our goal is to grow no bigger than 150 members. Once the Lord blesses us with 150 members, our plan is to plant another church locally by sending out 40 to 50 of our own members. In addition, we want to think globally as well by targeting gospel-needy areas around the world that we can send six to eight of our members to plant churches overseas. Thus, Sovereign Hope desires to be a church-planting church that faithfully grows by making disciples while remaining small enough to ensure strong community and relationships. How do we do that? I'm going to give you a couple points of application. We've got to have people preaching to the lost and not just your elders. You guys go places all week long. You interact with people that I'll never meet unless they come here. It's got to be a joint effort where we say, I'm going to put myself around lost people. I am going to preach Jesus to these lost people. And if you're going to share stuff with non-believers, it needs to be in addition to you sharing Jesus with them. Okay, so I told you earlier, I'm not saying that the early church would not have given uh, needy non-believers things. But I can guarantee you if they were doing it, they were also being very 
very intentional to not just give them stuff and walk away and it never be connected to Christ. We've got to preach to the lost and we've got to welcome visitors. Okay, because you know what speeds up this process is people that come here that are already almost equipped to be a deacon or an elder. Right? I mean, I, I would love for one of you to lead a coworker to Christ and then become an elder of this church. As David mentioned, though, they can't be a new believer. So we're looking at some time before they could actually serve in that capacity. And while the early church didn't have this advantage, we do have this advantage that believers relocate here all the time. Sonoy is growing. They are putting in new subdivisions. They are putting in new stuff all around us. This place is about to be, I mean, we really got in here um, at the right time. I don't know that I could afford a house in here um, had I not bought when I did. Uh, we got in here as a church at the right time, and this place is, 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 is expanding, which means new believers are going to move into this area. And I need everybody on the same page that when a visitor walks in, we see them through the lens that we talked about. They are here for a reason a reason that probably deserves our service to them. We grow personally, right? The elders can't make you qualified. These are things that you have to personally embrace. And then be flexible. Because as we grow, we're going to need people that are willing to, to change, to be willing to relocate, to be willing to go to a different place on a Sunday morning, to be a part of a church plant. And we're going to need some that are willing to go overseas. So that we can plant not just here, but we can think everywhere that Christ goes forth from this location in all directions. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we, we praise you and thank you that you've allowed us to be a part of this local church. And God, I thank you for the small environment. I thank you that, that we can easily know when somebody is visiting with us because we know all the other faces that are here. God, I'm thankful for the fact that we uh, have it available to us to know each other intimately. But God, I also recognize that as we grow, that the elders can't continue to exercise oversight over everybody's needs being met. And God, I'm thankful for the reassurance that you don't expect us to be able to do that. And God, I'm thankful that there are people in this church that I believe are equipped and qualified to handle that. And they're simply waiting to be empowered. Father, I pray that you would raise those individuals up, that you would give us as elders wisdom to know how to uh, draw them out um, and to put them in position to be recognized in that capacity, to become those individuals that help us meet the needs of everybody you bring to us. God, help us to be in an environment where we welcome visitors. We make them feel loved and accepted. We reach out to them and we serve them for however long they visit with us. Help us to be faithful starting this week, to, to intentionally put ourselves around lost people and to do it in such a way where we demand of ourselves that we preach the gospel to them. God, I pray that you would grow us as we study the word, create more qualified people in this church to serve in these capacities, Give us flexibility as we grow. Help us to be willing to leave so that your kingdom can grow. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.